goes. It's going right. Yeah, four. And you want me to go how many minutes, Robin? Did you notice this is green? Yeah, I did. Just for you. You want, it, you want a shot? Yeah, absolutely. This even works in your nose. All right. So it working in your stomach? Can I yeah. swallow it? <laughs> in ears and no. nose. Just keep it out of your eyes. We want to welcome you all to all of the United Methodist Church here in sunny Robbinsdale, Minnesota. I don't know if you have snowfall outside in your location. We just have a sun. I mean, it must be 80 degrees, at least indoors here. But we want to wish you a very um, um, post-resurrection um, happy Easter in that. And we're going to be um, taping actually a week in advance right now. Yeah, because all those by way of television, by way of radio, um, and basically a lot of us as church people, we need to um, stay indoors um, to kind of terminate this virus that's um, hitting us. And even though we plead the blood of Christ over our doorways, we've we got to use common sense in distancing and distancing and, and making sure that um, our elderly and it's even younger populations are being affected by this and we just want to terminate this this virus as quickly as possible so what we're going to do today is we're going to have um opening hymn and then those who need to to go can leave after the opening hymn and then i've asked my associate to share and i'll be sharing and let's pray father we just want to thank you for our television audience and our radio audiences and it's really an honor for all of it, United Methodist Church to, to come by way of radio and television. And we, we thank you for our faithful listeners that not only faithfully pray for us, but we pray that they would consider supporting us financially too. It's very difficult in these days to exist on radio and television without financial support. And we pray for those who um, pray for us if they feel led of the Holy Spirit. We just pray that you would really move in the hearts and the minds of those by way of television and in radio to, to support this cause of Jesus Christ. Now bless the, the hymns and the messages they're giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
crown him with many crowns. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to um, talk to you about many of the evidences of Christ's resurrection today. How convincing, however, the Easter evidence is, is when both the head and the heart accept Christ. It's kind of our dual natures. We have a mind, body, soul, and spirit, but that head and that heart is in kind of a sense of conflict. I remember in seminary some almost 40-some years ago, reading the book by Dr. Thomas Arnold. And he was a beloved headmaster at rugby. And he asserted that no fact of history is so well attested to as the Savior's resurrection. And assuredly, he said, an imposing array of witnesses declares its complete eternal truths. Listen to their testimony. Mary Magdalene, who hastened to the tomb even before daybreak, the first in the world to meet the resurrected Savior, and she asserted that I have seen the Lord. The other women who lingered long at the cross on Good Friday and who likewise came early on that Sunday morning to embalm the Savior's body found the stone rolled away and an angel of the Lord clothed with raiment rolled away and an angel, an angel of the Lord clothed with raiment white as dazzling snow. And that angel says, he is not here, he is risen, was the cry that greeted them. They could explain how, as they felt the empty tomb, they met Jesus, how they heard him speak joy to their hearts, how they fell at his feet and worshiped Jesus, worshiped Jesus as you and I are called to worship Jesus, his grace and his spirit, the cry of, his, of our hearts, how Simon Peter was restored by a glance of his Savior's grace, how he knelt before his resurrected Lord. And though the scriptures give us no details of the meeting, we, we may well believe Peter could testify, testify that Jesus raised nail-scarred hands in benediction, a benediction on Peter, who was to become the rock, the rock disciple. James, one of our Lord's brethren, who at first did not accept Jesus as God's Son and the world's Savior, likewise stood face to face with Jesus. And if he could give his testimony to our radio, radio audience or our television audience, he would assert that his whole life was, was rebuilt and he was purified through his contact. How many of you have been, your lives have been rebuilt and and reconstructed and purified through the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas, the doubting, who would not believe unless he saw the print of the nails and put his own fingers into those scars, mounts the witness stand in behalf of Jesus to announce that he did behold the wounded hands and feet, the side, and that we shall be blessed if we believe even though we do not see. 
I couldn't help but think of, of this court trial that was going on as I received a summons from the Hennepin County Court to appear to court duty. And I had to respond by saying that, you know, I've been having some kidney stones and trying to dislodge those kidney stones. And they said, well, currently you're probably not a good prime candidate, but we'll just bump your appearance a few months. You and I, we cannot bump the appearance that we have before Jesus Christ. God knows only the hour and the timing of his coming again. And we need to be ready, ready always to meet the Lord. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were filled with unspeakable joy when Christ went in to tarry with them and as they broke bread together in their revelation of Jesus Christ, the entire company of disciples who had hid themselves behind the shut doors and suddenly saw that the glorified Savior was in their midst to declare peace. Peace I give unto you. The seven followers. There were seven followers who, who went fishing with the resurrected Christ and with him they ate breakfast on the shore and not to mention the 501 situation that was probably 500 males because they had a tendency to just count the male population. But the 500 believers who in one manifestation beheld the Lord and perhaps on Mount Tabor right next to the Sea of Galilee and the 11 who were with Christ on Mount Olivet at his ascension. All these together with the mighty missionary Saint Paul who actually saw his glorified Savior on the Damascus Road and, and then went out to start the conquest of the world for Jesus. They're all very personal. They're all very competent witnesses to the miracle of miracles of all ages. If their testimony, combined and detailed as it was, does not convince the most skeptical of Christ's resurrection, the difficulty lies not in the Easter truth, but in the refusal to bow, to bow before the truth. So convincing is the evidence that when submitted to very careful scrutiny by legal expert, experts, it's been thoroughly vindicated. In a, in a book, remarkable book by Dr. Simon Greenfield, a special section is, is devoted just to the resurrection itself, with the result that the gospel narratives are completely, completely endorsed. Some of you say, well, however, who is this Simon Greenleaf? And why is his opinion recognized? Well, let me answer not only that he was a, a famed pastor and professor, professor of law at Harvard, and perhaps the most distinguished jurist ever connected with that eminent university of Harvard. But, but he was also, at that time, the London Law Magazine editor, and he called him one of the most highly esteemed legal authorities of all centuries, asserting that he has shed more light on the laws of evidence than all lawyers who, who have adorned the courts. Now, if that distinguished authority unreservedly endorses the resurrection, why does anyone in this audience, by way of television, 
or radio hesitate to subscribe to the complete truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, every Sunday for nearly 50 years, I've stood in the pulpits of various churches and I've proclaimed the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you believe, if you accept him, if you adhere to, and it's not merely belief because certainly the demons and the devil believe in Christ, but they're not going to be saved, but it needs to be belief in action. It needs to be pro-life and pro-faith. Every Sunday, the day of worship selected by the early church because Christ rose on Sunday, every baptism, the sacred Christian rite instituted by the risen Christ, every church, every mission preaching the glorious message that Jesus has conquered death for all, for you and I. These are the incontestable proofs of the Easter fact. Proofs, however, which those who are Christ do not need. You and I do not need because we feel a sense of Christ in our life since they have the Spirit's testimony in their hearts. You see, Jesus had to rise from the grave. It was clearly foretold in the Old Testament and plainly predicted by the Savior himself. And before God's holy word can be broken, remember this, my discouraged friends by the virus who need a firm foundation for your hope, everything on, under, and over this world will collapse into dust. The scriptures cannot fail, and God's guarantee for the Bible's very promise of comfort and sustaining love is to be found at the open grave, that Christ, the Lord, is risen. He is risen indeed. The resurrection proves that Christ has power over life and death. Jesus had to be resurrected from the dead to prove that he is no mere human mortal leader of human theorist, but God Almighty with power over life and, and power over death. During recent weeks, worldwide attention has been focused on remarkable discoveries, discoveries in the world. A number of years ago, after years of plotting, research scientists uncovered a very secret concealed tomb and and when the debris of centuries removed and the door solemnly sealed some 3,000 years ago was opened with appropriate ceremonies, there in, in an imposing burial chamber amid gold ornaments and, and almost priceless jewels lay a mysterious mummy case of granite. And beneath it was the second, a second sir of silver, and below that another covering of gold, solid gold. And within lay the remains of Pharaoh, Susinis. A thousand years before Christ, he ruled the upper and the lower Egypt with an iron hand, and, and princes and priests and people bowed abjectly before him, but finally he bowed before death. And despite of his money and and it's important in the world. Finally, he could not escape from the tomb. And within that mummy case, which was exhibited, and I witnessed in the exhibit, his shriveled, blackened corpse testifies to the relentless grip of the grave. 
how our hallelujahs should ring out today when the open grave, the open grave testifies that Jesus Christ was very God and very God, a very God. The ruler of life and the ruler of death itself, the Lord is risen. Truly, the Lord is risen indeed. No explanation for the open tomb has ever been able to satisfy the human mind. Unbelievers used to say that Jesus had merely swooned when taken from the cross, only apparently dead. He was later revived in the grave. But the Roman soldiers knew better. They were so positive that he had breathed his last that they did not follow the usual custom of breaking his legs. They speared his side, though. Skeptics used to assert, repeating first century falsehood, that the Roman guards slept, slept at their posts, and Christ's disciples, under the cover of darkness, just came and stole his body. All they had to do is present a corpse. Yet even the bribery of the priests could not make this story plausible. It meant death for a Roman soldier to sleep aside on duty. And besides, it would tax anyone's imagination to believe that the great stone could have been rolled away. The official seal broken and a company of men to go out and in and out of the grave to remove a corpse without being seen or heard. Infidels used to um, claim that the resurrection rests on the fantasy of some hallucinated women and suggestible followers. But even... Even open critics have rejected this absurd, absurd theory. Thus you can bring one attempt after another attempt, the other to take the supernatural out of the Easter miracle and to account for it on purely human premises, but, but each endeavor is doomed, is doomed to abject failure. Only one exclamation remains that Christ rose from the dead because he was all-powerful God with the divine omnipotence required to destroy death. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The resurrection was the crowning climax of, of God's love. Christ had to rise from the dead because his resurrection was a crowning climax of his, of his love. Had he stayed in the grave, not only would his promises of new life have been unfulfilled, and his claims for divine power disproved. But his entire suffering, his entire agony, agony of the cross, the God-forsakenness, and the never-to-be-fandom sorrow that crushed his soul would, would have all been in vain. The entire purpose of his incarnation would have remained unaccomplished when, however, on that bright Easter morning, the, the power of earth and the power of hell, the priestly craftiness and the official guard, the rock-hewn grave and the impressive seal at its entrance, the winding linen and the burial shrouds could not keep Jesus in the tomb. It was heaven's highest proof that Calvary's one sacrifice for the sins of all ages had been accepted, that Jesus' blood had not been shed in vain, but that as Christ, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. This 
trust is indicated in our text when it declares that Christ was raised. Christ was raised from the dead to be the glory of the Father. Easter is heaven's glorious seal, God's glorious endorsement, the Father's glorious acceptance of his Son's sacrifice for the world's sins. Easter is the promise of peace, and Easter is the promise of pardon to everyone who believes. Therefore, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you, whoever you are, by way of radio or by way of television, do you subscribe to the seven simple words, the seven simple words of our text, Christ was raised from the dead. It matters little what your opinion may be on a thousand other issues, past, present, and future, but for the sake of your soul, believe that the resurrection is a miracle. It's truly a miracle. Stifle gainsaying doubts that demand Christ could return to life. Turn away from skeptical, sneering people of affairs to the resolute faith of the mighty leaders in science and in culture and progress who have joyfully accepted the Easter, the Easter miracle. Today, with this, with this unquestioning trust, take God, take God at his word. Ask God, ask God for strength to overcome every uncertainty. And if you follow the promptings of the Spirit that now asks you to acclaim Christ, you too will be led as a doubting Thomas, as a doubting Thomas was to behold the Savior with a confidence that says, My Lord, my Lord and my God, my ever-living Savior, you too will gladly tell all whom you meet. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And the resurrection brings newness of life and hope. And without this radiant joy, life must lose its beauty and blessing. Dr. Herbert Spencer, England's learned philosopher, did not accept the Easter victory. Yet in his last hours, his last hours on this earth, he asked that one word be chiseled, chiseled on his tombstone. The Latin infeliasimuso means the most unhappy one. The rejection of the Easter victory always leaves men and women, boys and girls, without hope, without humble confidence in this truth, bestows new, new assurance. It is this assurance for which our text applies when it says, as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should walk, we should walk in this newness of life. When Jesus rose from the tomb, an entirely new era dawned on the world. Father, we ask that with every head bowed and every eye closed, and those by way of radio and television, that a New Testament was offered to us in which the most persistent and overpowering terror, the cringing before the grave, was removed for all who claim Jesus their Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, may we close in prayer by saying in our heart of hearts, Dear Jesus, forgive us our sins. Come into our hearts and lives. 
as we live for you. You died for us, and you now live for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, sir. Good morning and happy Resurrection Day to everybody. Resurrection. What this word means, its definition, should affect every aspect of our lives and is critically mandatory for our faith. But you know what? It's even larger than that. It divides the calendar, changes the day Sunday means for us, and even divides time. Our calendars and history books are divided into two eras, B.C. and A.D. B.C. means before Christ. A.D. means Adam Domina, which means in the year of our Lord. No other person has ever had or will have such a life and time-altering impact. And yet, the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ is even more than that. Christ had the most extraordinary, perfect life ever lived. He not only divided the calendar, but he changed the way we live and every decision that we make through our faith. His life affects absolutely every aspect of our own lives. When it doesn't do that, it's safe to say that it probably should. Last week, we looked at the empty tomb. Now we're looking at why the tomb was empty after three days. You see that perfectly, perfectly humble man, Jesus, that was solely tortured and died on a cross until he was laid into a tomb. He didn't stay there. Those of us with faith in Christ, we call ourselves Christians, obviously. We do this because a perfect man named Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life. Never told a lie, never stole anything, or blasphemy God. He even had one sexual impure or negative thought in his entire life. He was tortured and executed because he not only lived a perfect life, but he claimed to be the very Son of God. This action was intolerable by the local church and the state bureaucracy. Roman bureaucracy. These two institutions claimed absolute civil and personal control over others. Jesus gained popularity with the citizenry and stood threatening to the church's state morale and behavioral control. To rid themselves of this threat, they chose to get rid of Jesus. What they thought was permanent, permanent. They humiliated, they humiliated, tortured, and executed Jesus by hanging him on a cross. Good riddance, they may have thought, as they removed his dead body from the cross and placed it in the empty tomb. To cap it off, they rolled a heavy stone in front of the, the opening, the tomb opening. Top the efforts to get rid of him, they sealed the tomb with the official Roman seal and posted a sentry or guard in front of it to prevent anybody from coming in to steal the body. 
Despite all the Romans' efforts and attempts to deter anyone from gaining access or entry into the tomb, what they did do was even more important. Nobody could get in, but only one man could get out. Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it was his body leaving. Because the tomb, tomb's confines could not connect, confine the Son of God. He got up, walked out of that solid tomb, and left it behind him. Christ was taken in order to prevent anyone from getting into, into the tomb. But nothing could have been in place or fixed that Jesus could not get out. And that is exactly what happened. The Lord performed many, performed many miracles and for thousands and tens of thousands of people. But despite that, it's fair to say that the Lord's most tremendous miracle one miracle he did that rise above all the others was he beat the grave. And he exited the tomb. His resurrected body paid a visit to some people, left some signs, and he left back to his father, God. His death was a sure thing, though. He was dead. No question about it. When the guard poked his chest with with the sword, water flow with blood. That means pulmonary edema had already set in. Despite this physical torture before and during his crucifixion, he ultimately drowned. He died from filling his lungs filling with fluid. And his arms stretched short on each side of the cross made that medical condition even worse. It aggravated his pulmonary edema. Mark's Gospel provides the most detail about the discovery of the tomb's covering stone being moved. It says that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went to the tomb to anoint the Lord's body with spice. Here we read a long passage. And if Christ is not risen, then there's our preaching in vain, and our faith is also in vain. Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, Christ is not raised. First Corinthians 15, 14, and 15. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is also in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we, as Christians, testify of God that he raised Christ. If he did not raise Christ, then the dead are not raised. For if it's true that the dead are not raised, then Christ was raised. And if he wasn't raised by God, then we testified so. When we did not raise, the dead is not raised. It makes us call God a liar and better yet ourselves. Why? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 14 through 17. How important is the empty tomb and resurrection? Critically important. 
If Christ were not resurrected, our faith is meaningless. And just as terrible or worse, God is a liar. Christ's resurrection is that big of a deal. It's huge, enormous. God resurrected Jesus and will resurrect our spirit in the same way. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it reads, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you who raised Christ Jesus will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. If we do not have spirits connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we cannot be raised after death to enjoy the Lord, Father, God's company for eternity. That's not true. Show the fact of that being the case. Jesus predicted this resurrection three times in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and chapter 10, verse 34. Should write those out. Once again, chapter 8, 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and chapter 10, verse 34. There should be no question about the resurrection of Jesus. All four gospel accounts record that Mary Magdalene went at the empty tomb on the morning of the resurrection. Matthew 28, verse 1, Matthew 16, verse 1, Luke 24, verse 10, and John 20, verse 1. When she had the tomb, the body was gone. But the Romans had done everything, absolutely everything they could possibly think of and do to prevent, to prevent that very thing from happening. They prevented everybody from getting into the tomb. What they didn't count on was the Son of God walking out of the tomb. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 for 8 provides our first biblical account of the risen Christ. If Christ is resurrected, that means our resurrection to eternal life is certain in a given fact. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 through 23. That says, all that died except Christ will be made alive again in him. Our bodies are certainly not eternal. This is not eternal. Our spirit inside, though, is with our faith through Jesus Christ. We simply haven't experienced it yet. We have eternity inside of us in our spirit. We can deny it. We can ignore it. But we can't die without it. Peter repeatedly affirmed his witness of the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ to the people of Jerusalem. These are all the resurrection passages. Please go ahead and write them down. I'll repeat them. Acts chapter 2, 24. Acts chapter 2, verse 31 through 32. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 30. John's Gospel gives us two chapters regarding the resurrection of Christ. Read first John 20, verse, chapter 20, verse 27. John 20, verse 27. This is the account of the Lord appearing to and with doubting Thomas. Further on in chapter 21, the resurrected Lord reveals himself on the Sea of Galilee to 
all the disciples. My final thought on the, on the resurrection of Christ is this. Christianity, our very self and religion, exists because of his resurrection. Jesus Christ and his resurrection equals eternal life. Thank you, God, for creating the Spirit in us and me and giving me the faith to allow my spirit to exist eternally in your company. Praise you, Father God, Lord Jesus Christ. You are risen and risen indeed. If God was able to raise Jesus from the tomb and beat death, our eternity and raise, rising back in is assured. Thank you. Yeah. Can I do this with my hands? What?